Lord, we thank you that uh, we get to be a part of your church that uh, is very local, that it's here, right here in Fort Wayne, that you've called us to this place and to this city, and that we get to be a part of the work that you're doing all over the world and the way that you have sent your people to the ends of the earth. And uh, Lord, so we thank you for uh, this picture of it that we had today, and we thank you for your word that speaks about our calling to go uh, that we hear today from the Gospel of John. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us, that you would uh, meet us in our, in our weakness and uh, challenge us uh, to grow. You would call us uh, to a good work in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who weren't here on Easter Sunday, um, we had uh, anyone who was willing uh, to come forward and to share uh, just a very brief testimony on a piece of paper by completing the the phrases, I once was, but now I am, and had an opportunity for you all to come forward and to place those at at the foot of the cross. And uh, for this week and the next couple weeks, I'm going to read some of those. Um, I've got about uh, 200 of them on my desk. It's been great for me to get to read through them uh, over this past week. Um, If anybody wants to come in and just read through them, I'd be glad to give them to you, and you can pray over them if you want. But uh, just going to share a few each week over the next couple weeks. I once was bound by fear but now I am free. I once was fearful, but now I am focused on the God of peace. I once was angry, bitter, hopeless, and helpless, but now I am joyful in the midst of tough stuff, at peace because I forgive and am forgiven. God is my help and my hope. I once was a rejected, unloved little girl, but now... But now I am loved and accepted daughter. I once was giving up, but now I am fighting with God on my side. I once was lost in a troubled world, but now I am found and in peace. I once was alone and unloved, but now I am in him and he is in me. I once was merely a listener, religious, proud. But now I am a doer, a believer, and humbled. I once was a judgmental hypocrite, a Pharisee, without even the veneer of holiness. But now I am forgiven. I once was doubtful, but now I am a believer. I once was filled with fear and the need for control. But now I am walking in trust. God's got this. Amen. John chapter 20. Turn in your Bibles to John 20. We are reflecting on the stories of Jesus' appearances to his disciples um, after the resurrection in the Gospel of John. And here we we find him uh, coming to uh, his disciples who are in the upper room. And uh, it's a really interesting scene we read about here in John chapter 20. This is um, Easter night, Resurrection Sunday evening, and uh, this is what happens. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews... 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. No wonder. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So it's Resurrection Sunday evening. Uh, They have heard the testimony of Mary Magdalene, who went to the tomb that morning and uh, then ran to tell John and Peter that the tomb was empty. She thought that the the body had been stolen. John and Peter run to the tomb, and they they find that the tomb is there empty. And Peter and John look into the tomb, and it says that, that John, the one that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, looks in there, and it says that he believed. But they just go back to their homes, and that's all it says about what they did after that. But Mary Magdalene stays there uh, by the tomb, and she turns and she sees Jesus. And we heard about this story last week of Mary Magdalene in her encounter with Jesus, and his calling them to go and to be an apostle to the apostles, uh, the first witness, the first uh, person to go and share about the resurrected Jesus. But it's been a whole day now, and they've heard this message, and they're wondering what it all means. There may be some who have some sort of belief that maybe Jesus did rise from the dead. Maybe John is trying to convince them of this. We don't know, but they're in this room. The door is locked because they are afraid of the Jews. Uh, the Jews had, had um, plotted to, to kill Jesus, and now they think, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our families? We were the ones who were the closest to Jesus. Are they going to come and get us next? And so they're in the upper room with the doors locked for fear. And it says that Jesus came and stood among them. He didn't need to knock on the door. He didn't need to be asked to be let in. He just came and stood among them. And in this story, he calls his disciples to believe. Don't be afraid. Be at peace You may be trying to make up your own plans to try to figure out how to get you and your families safe. You may be trying to think up your own uh, plots for what to do next. I want to come and I want to say to you, peace be with you. I have a plan for you and for your life. And then Jesus does these three things for his disciples. He promises them peace through his presence. He calls them to mission, and he gives them the Spirit. He promises peace through his presence. He calls them to mission, and he gives them the Spirit. They are afraid. They are in the upper room, and there he appears to them behind locked rooms, and he opens up his hands, and he shows them the scars on his hands, on the the scars on his side. He shows them the marks of his love for them. He shows them the evidence of how far he went to love them. And he says, I am here. You can be at peace. And I want us to notice this morning that that Jesus doesn't wait until the disciples have it all together. 
He doesn't wait until they've summoned up, summoned up enough courage on their own. He, he doesn't wait until they've got everything straight in their minds about what's happened here. He shows up to them in their fear. In that moment when they are in distress, in that moment when they don't know what to do, that's when Jesus shows up into their life. Right there in their fear. They didn't have to summon up the courage in order to have Jesus come and say, okay, now I've got a plan for you. Jesus comes to them right there in their fear and says, peace be with you. He comes to them in their weakness. And it's also interesting to me that Jesus isn't mad at them for being afraid. Uh, fear is a, is a really powerful emotion, isn't it? Uh, Katie and the kids are, are away uh, this, this weekend, and so I've got a really quiet house. And um, last night at about 9.30, I was looking over this sermon, uh, thinking about fear. And do you see the, the grates that are up there, the, the vents that are up there? We have one that's almost that size in our bathroom. And I was sitting in the room, this silent house, and that thing fell out of the wall and landed on our floor. I mean, it was loud, and I just felt this surge of fear come through me. It's like, I, I had no idea what it was in that moment, just this surge of fear, this, this powerful emotion. Like, I just felt the adrenaline in me. But Jesus isn't mad at them for being afraid. He doesn't point his fingers at them in shame for being afraid. Instead, he says, I am here. Believe that I am here. Believe that I have a mission and a calling for you. And so that's what he does. He, he calls them to mission. Uh, not only does he come and promise them peace through his scarred hands and through uh, his side that has been uh, scarred and pierced, he not only offers them peace, but he calls them to mission. <laughs> These scared and fearful disciples... These disciples that don't know what to do, these disciples who are afraid for their lives, it's these disciples that he calls to mission. We see in the book of Acts what's going to happen in their lives right now. Over the next few weeks, Jesus is going to teach them who he is. He's going to teach them from the scriptures about how uh, the Old Testament had told that he was going to come. And uh, Jesus is going to tell them what they are to do. And we see in the book of Acts, about 40 days later, that begins when the day of Pentecost comes. And we see them go in courage and in faith. And they stand in the presence of these Jewish leaders who had just killed Jesus. And they say, Jesus is the Messiah. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. It's these scared and fearful disciples that he sends into the world. And here in John chapter 20, we have John's great commission. Uh, Matthew and Luke both have their own great commission where they say, this is the moment where I want my readers to remember when uh, Jesus sent his disciples into the world. Well, here is John's, John chapter 20, verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The mission of the disciples is going to be an extension of the mission of Jesus. 
God the Father in his divine eternal plan sent me into the world to take on flesh and to fulfill this calling to go to the cross and to die to uh, make it possible for the world's sin to be forgiven and to make eternal life possible through the resurrection. That is my calling. And now God in his eternal plan has a plan and a purpose for you to carry on and extend that mission to the ends of the earth. As the Father sent me, now I am sending you. Uh, six or seven years ago, um, I, I came across this passage. I, I don't even remember why it was, if I was preparing for a sermon or what it was, but it just really stuck with me. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this idea that as the Father sent Jesus, so I am now sending you. And began to think about what that meant. Like, in the manner that Jesus was sent, we are also sent into the world. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. To so think about this idea that in the same way that the Father, in the same spirit and for the same purpose that the Father sent Jesus into the world, now the Father and the Son and the Spirit also then send us into the world for the, to carry out that mission that he's called us to. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Paul has this really unique verse in Colossians chapter 1. Um, in May, we're going to begin a sermon series on Colossians, and I've begun uh, preparing for that. And there's this verse in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, that has really struck me and has uh, captured my imagination. And I think it really illustrates well this idea that as the Father sent Jesus, so I am sending you into the world. He says this. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I just want to read that to you again and just think about what Paul is saying here because when you first read it, it almost sounds blasphemous (laughs) what Paul is saying. But listen to what he says. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, which is the church. When Jesus was on the cross, didn't he say, it is finished? Isn't it the sufficient sacrifice for the sin of the world? But here Paul says something interesting. He says, I fill up in my own flesh, in the work that God has called me to do, In the suffering that I endure for the sake of the gospel, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. So what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? It's that the the power of the cross, the message of the cross, has not yet gone into every town and village and person and place and home in the world. The, uh, the efficacy, uh, that's a really big word, but the, the power and the, the, the joy of the cross has not yet entered into every single place and person and person in the world. And so Paul, God has sent Paul to then be the, uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so the disciples in their own work carry out this mission, proclaiming the gospel taking the message of the cross to every single person in place that still needs to hear it. I fill up in my own flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. The only thing that is lacking in Christ's afflictions is that it hasn't yet taken effect 
in every place in the world. And so we are still a part of this mission, aren't we? As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the knowledge of the empty tomb, the disciples know that the tomb is empty, but the knowledge of that was not yet enough to compel them into the world. In fact, the empty tomb even makes them even more fearful, makes them wonder really what's going on here. What they need, what they need is the Spirit. That this work that God has called them to is not going to be accomplished by their own plans, by their own cleverness, by their own power. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I am sending you, and now receive my spirit. It's going to be my power, my spirit, that's going to enable you and equip you to do this work. I have a great mission for you, but it's not something that you're going to have to accomplish on your own. I will be with you. Matthew's Great Commission says what? I will be with you until the end of the earth. This is John's great commission to his disciples. It's John's great commission uh, to us. God is calling us to deeper places of belief in Christ. The disciples huddled away in fear with the doors locked for fear. Isn't that a picture in many ways of the church in America today? Huddled away in fear. Fear of what's going to happen in this election, right, Linda? You and I wrestling with this together. Fear of what's happening in our culture. Fear of the direction of our future. Uh, fear of the survival of the church. Fear of what's going to happen to our kids. And there's this, there's this kind of reaction from the church in America right now that just feels very much like we've lost our courage. We've lost our resilience. We've lost our faith and our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this knowledge of the truth. We have this knowledge that the tomb is empty, but we need the Spirit of God to fill us and propel us into the world. We are, in many ways, a fearful people. But the good news of John 20 is that Jesus comes to us when we're afraid. He comes and he wants us to make us. He wants to make us a courageous and resilient people. A people who recognize how short this life is. A people who recognize that we must invest eternally, right, men of Broadway? Invest eternally in the things of God. To invest in people. To be people who don't fear men, but people who fear God. He is calling us to believe that he is here with us right now. That the one who made us, the one who created us, the one who came into the world and who died on the cross and who rose from the dead is here with us. And he's saying to us, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Trust me. Trust me as you go. I want to say very specifically to each one of you that this calling to, to not be afraid, to be at peace, isn't just for the church in general. It's for you and for your life. Into your specific fears and worries, whatever they are, your own health concerns or fears for your children, for your spouse, 
your own specific fears and worries, Jesus wants to show up and bring you peace. In this story, Jesus shows up in a locked room, in a room where the disciples didn't think anybody else could get in. Jesus showed up in that room. And he wants to show up in your life in places where you don't think anyone else can go. He wants to show up in that place in the past where you have been wounded by someone or where you have wounded someone else. He wants to show up right there in that place and bring you healing and peace. He wants to show up in that fear, in that place where you are afraid. He has come to bring peace to overcome our fears. And so, friends, we need to say yes to God's call in our life. He overcomes those fears in our life, and he calls us to go and to be about his work in the world. We are sent as the Father sent Jesus. And so I was was telling you a few years ago, I was thinking about this passage, and just really kind of fun to think about how did the Father send Jesus? He, He sent him in humility, So what does it mean for me to be sent into my world, into my neighborhood in humility? He sent Jesus to be with the poor and the sick. So what does it mean for me to go and to be with the poor and with the sick? He sent him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean for me in my own life to be filled with the power of the Spirit? How can I seek the filling of the power of the Spirit through prayer and through seeking God and through asking that God would fill you with the Spirit? You can kind of just go along the line, just read through the Gospels and think, how was Jesus sent into the world? And then think, how can I emulate or follow that? How can I be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and go into ministry, be sent in that same way, in that same spirit, in that same manner that Jesus entered into the world? And so there's lots of things that we could have said today, but there's, there's two things that I, I want to say about how Jesus was sent into the world and how that relates to how we are sent into the world. John chapter 1, uh, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a few verses later he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, made his dwelling among us. Uh, Eugene Peterson has this just beautiful paraphrase of this passage. Many of you probably know it. I've probably quoted it before. That the Word became a human being and moved into the neighborhood. He just came and he lived with people. He became a part of the life of of, of first century Galilee, okay? He, he went to funerals, and he went to weddings, and he, he celebrated with people, and he likely worked in the carpenter shop with his, his father, Joseph. He did all these things. He became a part of the life of that world. He moved into the neighborhood. In order to save us, God sent Jesus to become flesh into a particular time and a particular place so that people could see what God was like. And throughout the New Testament, the church is called the body of Christ. People have been filled with the spirit of Christ so that wherever we go, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our family, in the people that we uh, rub shoulders with every single day, that we would be a people through whom people experience Christ. Jesus was sent into the world to enter into our human experience, to participate in the life of first century uh, Galilee. But he lived in such a way that was so strange. (laughs) 
He was without any sin. He forgave his enemies when they harmed him. He lived without anxiety or fear or worry. He lived with them, but he did it in a very unique and different way. In a very similar way, we are sent as God's people to live in the world, to become a part of our neighborhoods, to become a part of our workplaces, but to do it in a way that is so unique, (laughs) in a way that's without sin, in a way that we practice what Jesus teaches us, forgiving our enemies and living without worry and anxiety. We're called to live in the culture, but not of the culture, as is often said. It's what Jesus did. This summer, we want to call you as the church. Uh, leadership of the church wants to call you to invest here in Fort Wayne, to go into Fort Wayne as Jesus was sent by the Father. And uh, Deb, if you want to come on up, and Ruth, if it's possible for you to get the Love Fort Wayne slide up there, that would be great. Uh, So you've been hearing the last couple weeks that uh, we as a church are going to be coming alongside some of our local missionaries. We got to see two of our our, uh, overseas missionaries today, uh, Matthew and Melinda Edwards and and the Snyders. And um, we have local missionaries too. And uh, many of you, I think all of you, are in this room right now. And uh, for each of these ministries, the uh, Ministry of Hope Alive, uh, the Ministry of, um, of International House, and also the 410 Ministry, which Deb is going to share a little bit about today, we are asking you and inviting you to come alongside and to be a part of what these ministries are doing. Okay? And I just really want to say that I don't want this, I, I, I'm say it a different way. This is not something for a dozen people to be involved in. This is our church's opportunity to do a short-term mission trip together. All of us. It's local. It's going to take some sacrifice of your summer. But friends, listen to the Lord and ask him, how can I be a part of one of these ministries over the course of this summer? I want to see as much of us involved as this, in this as possible. And Deb's going to share with us a little bit about the 410 ministry. If you could share, for those who don't know, just a little about what you do and then uh, what we're going to be doing this summer with you. Okay. Cool. The 410 ministry um, is a strip club ministry. It comes from John 410. Um, and there are teams of people from other churches around the city, and we um, go into the strip clubs here in Fort Wayne, and we love the women um, in the name of Jesus Christ right where they're at. And so um, we have, for the 410 missions trip, um, there are two things that are um, the heart of the 410 ministry. Um, prayer and relational evangelism. And so we're going to have two weeks this summer. The first week is going to be focused on prayer. The second week is going to be focused on um, relational evangelism. Um, There are two updates where we're going to, on April 25th and May 23rd, April 25th and May 23rd, two evenings where we're going to actually sit down and hash out how do we prepare for the two weeks in July um, for the 410 missions trip. Um, And so we're going to delegate preparations for everything that we're going to do. If you are gifted in management 
organ you have organizational skills um, this would be a great um, those two nights would be great for you to help us think through okay what needs to get done in order to for us to be prepared for these two weeks um, the first week um, as I said, we're going to focus on prayer. And so the first night of the first week, there's going to be a, day, a night of education. Um, there's going to be some teaching uh, specifically about this ministry and what the Bible says and um, walking in the shoes of a stripper so we better understand. And, of course, we're going to pray. Every night we're going to pray. We're also going to be prepared to fast and pray. On Tuesday of the first week, we're going to um, fast and we're going to pray for these women and the men and the ministry. Um, and God will meet us there. Um, on Wednesday, um, and so if you're a prayer warrior, that's one of, I'm going to kind of go through these two weeks and these things that surface, if you think, I could do that, then please come to these meetings. Please sign up in the back after church today. Um, and then Wednesday of the first week, we are going to um, pray over gifts. One of the ministries that the 410 does is usually once a quarter, we take out gifts to the women. And so we are going to, if you're a shopper, some of you guys love to find those bargains. We need you. And we're going to be doing that the first week. And then we're going to pray over the gifts um, so that we can give them out to the ladies. Um, and then also Thursday will be um, working on gifts as well. So if you're crafty, you like putting things together, um, we could use you. Um, also, we for the second week, um, we're going to actually be going working with the women. Um, and we need your help preparing for that as well. We are going to teach them to make jewelry. These are some of the ideas we have, and all of that will be put into stone when we do the um, planning meetings. Um, knitting. We're going to teach the women to knit, and I personally will be there because I don't know how to knit. So if you want to learn to knit yourself, come join us. You will learn to knit and, and sew and make jewelry the first week, and then the second week we will be working with the women hands-on. Meals. The second week, one of the things we would like to do is take meals to all of the clubs. A full meal, take it into their dressing room, and feed them. And we have done this in the past for certain clubs, and it's, it's loved them well. So if you love to bake, if you love to cook, um, then the frontliners will take your delicious food in to love the women in that way. Um, Thursday of the second week, we would like to do a spa day. Love the women by making their nails beautiful. Um, and, of course, teaching them and loving them in the name of Jesus throughout. So if you know somebody who's amazing with nails, or you are, come on board and we can love the women in that way. Um, and then the last day, we're going to have a fundraiser specifically for the ministry. July 11th through 23rd are the two weeks that the 410 is going to have their missions trip. So every night, first week, focused on prayer. We're going to be on our knees, interceding and pleading to God. Um, and then the second week, we're going to actually be doing more hands-on stuff and working with the women with, for relational evangelism. There you go. 
I muted myself. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the ministry of 410 and what you are doing and have been doing. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, more of us are going to be able to um, hear and experience uh, what you're doing. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring uh, the right people uh, to come and to partner with, with, um, with 410 over these weeks in July and that a good work would be done in the hearts of many people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Deb. So there are, just uh, to kind of continue in this little plug during mid-sermon, um, for if you're going to be involved this summer in this, there are two days of training, and you need to go to one of them. Last week, we were talking about it this week, we've kind of changed our, our plan. You do need to go to one of these. Okay, there'll be the same training each day. One is on April 30th. One is on June 11th from 9 to 2. Okay, it's going to be an opportunity for all of us to be on the same page and to moving, be moving in the same direction. So please uh, mark that on your calendar. So we are, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. We are to go and to engage and to be a part of the culture around us in every way, but without sin, in a very unique way, called to be a part of the world around us. The second thing about being sent as the Father sent Jesus is to be willing to be known by our scars. Jesus was known when he opened his hands and he showed them his hands in his side. He was recognized by his scars. If we are going to be faithful to the calling of Jesus in our life, we need to be willing to suffer. Doesn't mean we seek it out, we don't seek to become a martyr, but we must be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Uh, I, I really enjoy history, and um, historians who have studied this, the radical growth of the Christian church from, you know, 30 A.D. until, you know, 300 A.D., they, they kind of marvel at how quickly the church grew in that time. And uh, so there are some who, you know, we know that, that the Spirit enabled them to do that, right? It enabled them to go. Uh, but those who are, who are not believers want to come up with a, kind of a sociological reason for this. How did this happen? And one of the conclusions that uh, historians and sociologists come up with about how this happened was simply the way that Christians lived in the cities of the Roman Empire, in a way that was completely different than the people around them. just want to give you one quote from an eyewitness in the third century. There was a, a large plague that went through the city of Antioch, and this eyewitness describes how Christians in that city responded when this plague went through, went through the city. It says this, At the first onset of the disease, the pagans pushed the sufferers away, and they fled out into the desert. They threw the sufferers into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as, as dirt, hoping to avert the spread and the contagion of the disease. Our Christian brothers, however, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministered to them in Christ and with the sick died and departed this life serenely happy because they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. 
many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. This is our call to be willing to suffer for those who are broken around us, to be willing to suffer for our neighbors and for the sake of the gospel. Last thing, very quickly, Jesus says this amazing thing to his disciples. John chapter 20, verse 23, it says, And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, If you forgive anyone his, his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What in the world does this mean? The church has been sent into the world to be the bearer of the message of forgiveness. We know that. We talk about that a lot here at Broadway. We've seen examples of that through history, and we hear about that in the scriptures. I want to say that um, there's another level, another layer of meaning to this, the way that we are to be the bearer of the forgiveness of sins. Only God can forgive sins. We know that. But what does Jesus mean here when he says to his disciples, when he says to us, if you forgive someone their sins, they're forgiven, but if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven? I want to suggest to you that we are called to be a community of people where people experience what it means to be forgiven in a very concrete and very real and tangible way that they experience forgiveness. When an addict comes to church and receives Christ and then has men and women surround them and care for them and love them and walk with them into sobriety, that's John nineteen twenty three. People experiencing forgiveness. When a spouse forgives another spouse for an affair, that's John nineteen twenty three. The experience of forgiveness. Do you remember the story of uh, the Amish shooting in Lancaster, Pennsylvania? Now about ten years ago shooter went into the schoolhouse and shot 10 girls, killing five of them, and then shot himself. Do you remember the story of the way the Amish responded to the shooter's family? That night, the Amish leaders went to the home of the parents of the shooter and said, we want you here in this community. We don't want you to leave. We forgive you and we forgive your son. The Amish people, many of the victims' families were at the funeral of a shooter, grieving alongside these parents. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That family experienced the concrete reality of forgiveness and grace and mercy. That's what we're called to be. That's a picture Our brothers and sisters in the Amish community in Lancaster showed us what it means to live out John 19.23, to be a community where people experience the concrete reality of what it means to be forgiven. The church is the place where people can truly experience the embrace of the love of God for them. 
let's let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for uh, this word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who meets us in our fears and our anxieties. Uh, Lord, all of us have them. And so, Lord, whatever they are for each of us, Lord, I pray that you would meet us there and that you would make us people of courage and resiliency and hope. That you would make us a people of mission, a people who know that as you were sent by your Father into the world, that you have now sent us into the world uh, to be a part of your work. And God, I pray that we would be a community of people where people experience uh, the tangible love and mercy and grace that comes from you. Make us that community. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit and make us that kind of people. In Jesus' name, amen.